everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Our Extraordinary Stories. I'm your host, and my name is Dr. Debbie Gabatel. I'm a junior doctor working in the NHS, specializing in psychiatry. This means I work with people who need support and treatment for severe mental illness. Now, today I'm recording the first of my solo episodes, and I'm having a little bit of fun with it. So I've taken inspiration from upcoming Valentine's Day and decided to do the topic of love and psychiatry. So I reflected on this title and I thought, where in my job do I come across the interplay of love and mental health or mental illness? And I thought of six different topics that I can talk about. This is the first time I'm recording an episode of this type. So I'd be really fascinated um, and interested to get your feedback on it. So if you can connect with me on Instagram, which is where I can really interact with my audience at Dr. Devika Patel. So the first topic I'm going to talk about is a syndrome called erotomania or de Clarembeau's syndrome. Now that French fancy term that I just used is the name of a French psychiatrist that first saw this syndrome and gave it its name. Um, it's quite an uncommon condition, um, but it's basically when we see a patient who has a delusion of a, another person being madly in love with them. And usually the scenario you see is a young female that believes that a, a male of a higher social class is deeply madly in love with them and nothing you say will convince them otherwise. So just to remind you what a delusion is, this is a fixed, unshakable belief. So if I gave that person evidence to say, nope, Justin Bieber is not in love with you, he's already married, got a wife, and there is no way that he can be in love with you, proof or evidence you have, they will still stick by and say, nope, Justin Bieber is in love with me. If I ask for evidence, they might come up with some illogical, bizarre reasons of why they know this, um, but there won't be anything that really adds up. Like I said, it's quite a rare syndrome. However, I have come across it once during my training um, where I had a patient who believed that a Nigerian prince was madly in love with them. I obviously had to kind of just do some background reading just to make sure because there could have been a possibility that this was true. When you ask them more details about how do you know that this person is in love with you, they may give you answers such as, well, um, in that video that they posted, they were wearing a blue jacket and that means that they are in love with me. That was a secret message that they were sending that only I would know about. So quite unusual and bizarre explanations as to why they think this person is madly in love with them. Um, it's more commonly seen in women, but it can also be seen in men. And in men, it's associated with more stalker-like behaviours, and there could be some violence as well. So usually you don't see this symptom in isolation, but it's usually part of a bipolar affective disorder. That's where you can get these type of delusions, or it could be part of a schizophrenia. So the patient I saw was having a manic episode as part of their bipolar affective disorder, and that's why they had these symptoms. So that's one way that we see love and psychiatry kind of coming together, and it's where you have these extreme beliefs about someone being madly in love with you, and it's usually someone famous, higher social status, but there's no evidence of this being so. And the way that it is treated is by treating the underlying cause of schizophrenia or bipolar affective disorder, treating it with antipsychotics. It's important not to now start telling your teenage cousin who is obsessed with someone like Justin Bieber that they have a mental illness. It's very normal for 
teenagers or even adults to fantasize or obsess over celebrities. But that is a different type of feeling where they know that that person is unattainable. They are not in a relationship with them. And it is something a bit more like an, a hobby or something that they enjoy. They may collect posters, enjoy their music, go to their concerts, and they are more fans rather than having a fixed belief that that person is madly, deeply in love with them. So that might seem like a bit of a random or unusual fact, but the reason why I did these podcasts in the first place is to drip feed you bits of knowledge that you may not come across otherwise. However, if you did see this symptom or something unusual in a family member or a friend, then it could be that it's a possible sign of mental illness. Like I said before, it's quite rare. However, if someone starts talking about this and you think, oh, this is a bit unusual, rather than ignore it, then it might be, um, you might be able to add up pieces of some other unusual behavior that they might also be exhibiting to see that actually this could be part of a mental illness that is brewing in the background. So that's an example of love being a symptom of mental illness when someone believes that another person is madly in love with them and they may be a celebrity, someone that's deceased, someone that they've never met, an imaginary person. And this idea that the other person is madly in love with them is a fixed, unshakable belief. And that is called erotomania or de Clarembeau's syndrome. So the next topic I want to talk about is one that I see quite often. So when I see a new patient, I take a very detailed history of the patient's life. This means asking about everything and anything, including schooling, their upbringing, love and relationships. Now, again, this is not something that is to be seen in isolation, but I do come across a subset of patients with a diagnosis of emotionally unstable personality disorder or borderline personality disorder where one of the key features is they find it difficult to form loving and stable relationships. It is believed that this stems from the patient's initial early life attachments, and they may have had or experienced some form of abuse. And this could be even in the form of physical, sexual, or emotional abuse, which makes it hard for them to form those relationships and have a sense of trust as these were the kind of relationships they were exposed to in their early childhood. When we are growing up and developing and our personalities are forming, these are formed by all the early life experiences that we have. So if we have parents and caregivers around us that are consistently showing us that they are there for us, then that will allow us to trust others and form trusting relationships later on in life. If there is inconsistent parenting or there's some form of even emotional neglect where a parent can't be there emotionally for their children, then that might lead to some issues growing up and having attachment difficulties. For some patients who have genetic vulnerability to a personality disorder and they have further traumatic, traumatic experiences in their life, they may develop something we call emotionally unstable personality disorder, where they have difficulty regulating their emotions, difficulty forming relationships, and this may lead to having very extremes in mood changes and may also present with a risk to themselves in form of self-harming or attempts on their life. This is a very brief summary of emotionally unstable personality disorder and I will be doing some further episodes to discuss this in more detail. However, that's another form that I see love and relationships being relevant to psychiatry and it's an area that we explore as with all mental illnesses, there are ways that people can still 
lead meaningful and purposeful lives. And for emotionally unstable personality disorder, therapy is the main form of treatment, which comes in lots of different forms depending on the individual's main difficulties. And they can go on to form those meaningful relationships and have beautiful lives, families, children. On a similar note, I want to talk about my third topic, which is a contributing factor patients presenting with mental illness, and that is the topic of abuse. So when I, again, speak to a patient, I will ask them about their relationships, and I will ask particularly about whether they've been in in any abusive relationships, as this could be a reason why they are presenting with mental illness now, whether it's depression, anxiety, PTSD, or a psychotic episode. Now, sometimes it can be difficult for a patient to even know that they are in an abusive relationship as the level of control makes the patient believe that the actions of the perpetrator of the abuse are justified as they may be told things like, well, I only hurt you because I love you. I'm only stopping you from going out because I don't want you to get hurt. I'm only trying to protect you. Although we mainly speak about women being in abusive relationships, Over the course of my training, I have seen many men also in abusive relationships, physically violent, sexually abusive and emotionally abusive relationships, which have had a massive impact on their mental health, led to increased substance use um, and PTSD symptoms. So again, Valentine's Day and love, it's all a beautiful topic. We talk about Cupid love, cards, presents, but it's important to know when that's real love and when it's abuse being disguised. It is not uncommon for me to see patients who have a history of abuse and that is a major contributing factor to their mental illness and the reasons why they are presenting. Nevertheless, there is always a way to move forward from this abuse. Talking to friends and family is the first step. Ensuring your safety and your children's safety is paramount and there are lots of charities that are out there to help give refuge and then after you are in a safe place then it's thinking about talking therapy and using medication if you need to help you overcome the difficulties and rebuild your life your confidence i've seen many patients who have been through that journey of recovery and have come out the other side as confident and amazing human beings that lead meaningful and purposeful lives The fourth topic I'm going to be talking about is love as a form of talking therapy. So there is one particular type of psychological therapy called compassion-focused therapy, and it is all about self-love and compassion, as the title suggests. Compassion-focused therapy was developed by British psychologist Paul Gilbert. The main uses are to help people who have difficulties with shame and self-criticism, What it does is it really teaches um, the person to have skills of self-compassion and compassion towards others. And in doing so, it helps them regulate their mood, self-soothe and have feelings of safety, self-acceptance and comfort. It can be used to help people with problems with mood, anxiety problems, trauma. And there are also some small studies to show it's useful for eating disorders and some symptoms of psychosis. The theory has been created on the premise that the brain's emotional regulation system is disrupted in some way. And what that means is that individual focuses on 
threats coming towards them while disregarding the need to self-soothe. So what the therapist will do is teach and guide the patient through some important skills to develop self-compassion using the mindfulness techniques, visualization, role-playing, meditation. And this is to help the client recognize what compassion feels like and become better at practicing it both towards themselves and others. What Paul Gilbert hypothesized is that our brain and as humans, we have three different emotional regulation systems. The first is a threat and self-protection system. And this kind of generates feelings of anger, disgust, and fear. And this is all to protect us. There's a drive and excitement system. And this is to help us kind of seek out mates, food, and status, and um, help us to engage with our social community. And then a soothing and social safety system. And this is when we feel at peace and content and we are no longer compelled to seek outside resources. When these are all imbalanced, then we are able to live healthy, balanced lives. However, if there is an imbalance between the systems, then we can present with mental illness or cause problems with managing our mood and behaviors. It's believed that people that experience high levels of shame or self-criticism they may not have been able to develop their soothing system enough early in life and they may have had too much stimulation of their threat system and that could have been due to some early life trauma or difficulties. This means that they might be highly sensitive to criticism or rejection and they might internalize these feelings. CFD or compassion-focused therapy works to correct this. The goal of the therapy is to replace these feelings that the, the patient has of criticism towards himself, insecurity and hostility with ones of compassion and understanding so that the patient can start to self-soothe themselves, accept themselves and that makes them feel content and safe within themselves. Now the fifth point I'm going to be talking about is love as part of recovery. Now I see that one of the biggest pieces of a puzzle and in the recovery of patients is connection with their friends, family, and their social circle. You can have all the staff members involved with a patient's care. When there is a really solid family structure behind the patient, I have noticed the massive improvements that a patient makes because they have that unconditional love, which cannot be provided by any amount of staff members. Obviously, it's very important to remember that it isn't just about being surrounded by family, but also a supportive and helpful relationships, not toxic relationships, because sometimes issues with mental illness and mental health difficulties come from difficult relationships in their home environment. So I do believe that family and friends are a really key part to recovery when the relationships are supportive and helpful and they can have a big impact on how quickly a patient will get better and that type of support really complements all the medication and therapy and support we give to patients. What can happen in patients with mental illness is that their difficulties may drive away family and friends because they feel unable to look after the individual or be around for them 
Um, they may have chaotic lives if they have substance abuse. There may be some difficulties with that. And in some cases, they may be estranged from their family. And that's when we see that outcomes are not as favorable as when patients have family and friends support around them. So if you are listening to this podcast and you do have family or friends that are suffering with some mental illness, there is a lot you can do um, by providing that unconditional love and support to them to help them. There was some interesting studies that have been com completed looking at recovery of patients in, in developing countries and developed countries. And it's actually found that prognosis of conditions like psychosis can be better in the developing countries despite there sometimes being less resources and less staff. And one of the hypotheses from these studies is that the social support is really what helps that patient improve. And this outweighs all the resources that we have in the Western and developed world. Obviously, it's a very hard area to research and to really prove, but it is one of the hypotheses. And it is what I see day to day when I see the difference in patients who don't have family as opposed to those that do. For the number of years I've been working in psychiatry, I've also noted that there are more and more roles that are created within our teams. And when I look at some family structures, that there is a lot of family involvement, what I realize is a lot of these roles are actually completed by family members because there is sometimes such a lack of family support. These new roles have had to be created um, to support our, our patients. For example, support workers that will be paid to spend two to three hours with our patients to have a coffee with them, to reduce the levels of loneliness. So it is really fascinating to see the role of unconditional love that's provided by family and friends, which helps in the recovery of mental illness. At the end of the day, we are all social creatures and we need connection to help us thrive. Now, the final topic I'm going to be talking about is how I think about love and compassion in my day-to-day -day work. Now, I have one rule that I stick by, and it really helps me make decisions about my patients. So I treat my patients as if I'm treating a family member or a friend. What this means that I can treat them with the utmost level of respect, dignity, and compassion. Now, the reason I do this is because I want to create a culture within psychiatry so that if for any reason a family or a friend requires help in mental health services, they will be provided with a high level of care and compassion. So I have to model this in order for the people that see me practicing as a psychiatrist to also practice care in that way. Now, what this doesn't mean is that I give in to every whim of the patient and I have to say yes to everything that the patient wants, but it means that I will ensure I do everything I can to get the best outcome for the patient whilst applying my psychiatry knowledge. You may have seen over the years mental health units being in media due to bad practice, unsafe care, undignified care, and they have been brought to light, rightly so, for compromising patient safety, patient dignity, and there has been a lack of compassionate care. Now, I do believe that this is a combination of the system that we work in, which is overworked. There isn't enough funding, but it's also down to the individual. So this is my kind of the motto that I lead with. 
every day and it means that I can give the highest level of care to my patients. I also have a lot of gratitude and compassion towards my patients because very often when they come into my clinic room or I see them on the ward, they will be sharing some really deep, dark parts of their life with me, putting their absolute trust in me and being very vulnerable with me. And what this does is it allows me to help them. But over the years, it has allowed me to learn from them because my best teacher in psychiatry is the patient. I can read all the books in the world, but I will never know what it feels like to have a mental illness unless I have gone through the experience myself. And this is what patients allow me to do by letting me into their lives, telling me what's on their mind, their worries, their deepest, darkest secrets, the most difficult things that they have been through in order for me to help them as well as I can. So that's my final point about love being centre to how I provide care for my patients and also an Im immense load of gratitude towards my patients to allow me to do a job which keeps me going every day, gives me a meaningful and purposeful life. And I really do hope that I can continue by educating the general population and also by improving services. Also, a final note of love and gratitude to all the people working within mental health is a difficult place to work in right now. There are a lot of pressures. We are overstretched. We are trying to do a job on minimal budget but I really do see that change is coming and we will be able to do the work to the best of our abilities. Thank you again for joining me for this first solo episode where I've just had a little bit of fun with it to be honest and thought about all the different ways that love comes into my day-to-day -day life as I practice psychiatry. I hope you've learned something new, had a fun fact to share with someone and you never know when you might need this knowledge in your lives. And that's what I'm going to keep doing with these solo episodes, just drip feed you information that you never knew you needed and it may come handy to you one day in the future. Thanks again for listening. Connect with me on Instagram at Dr. Devika Patel and I look forward to my next episode, which is going to be with my husband and we are going to be talking about our journey of the last year in living an intentional life, a little bit about um, our pregnancy how I became pregnant, a few of the struggles that I had and about his career change and how he is doing. Thank you ever so much for listening and supporting. I'll see you back in two weeks.